0: We are continuing our time in Romans, Romans chapter 1. Hope you've been blessed thus far by our beginning of our journey together in Romans. And I know it's the messages uh, are hard-hitting at times, but uh, we will not stray away from God's Word. We will not. Uh, shy away from uh, the message that God is giving us uh, here in Romans through Paul. And so we will not skirt around that. We will continue to move forward as we normally do, verse by verse, uh, in an expository way, uh, honoring, glorifying God through this, this time Thus far, we see, uh, have gone through an introduction, and and Paul's encouraging, um, just gracious, um, uh, I guess, opening to his letter and address to the people of Rome, his desire to want to be with them. But then as we transition, he talks about righteousness. Um, He talks about the Christian. He talks about the believer. He talks about the desire that God has for each and every one of them in Rome. As he continues to transition and move forward, as we uh, slowly make our way through the beginning of Romans 1, he begins to talk about righteousness and unrighteousness, ungodliness, um, and understanding what that is and what that means from a very general perspective, because Paul will move um, in the next few weeks, we will see Paul is going to move into a more detailed, more specific way uh, and, and uh, language, so to speak, in his letter on the details of what that looks like moving forward. But understanding God's wrath um, and how the unrighteous and the ungodly in and through that, the w- reason why they don't understand God, um, they won't turn to God is because they suppress the truth, the truth about God not only his word, a special revelation that we have in front of us that um, I hope everyone has in their hands, but as we move forward, we saw one of the key and main verses uh, in all of Scripture that addresses general revelation, God's general revelation in and through creation, that um, the very makeup of all creation has God woven all within its makeup, all within its structure, And um, by nature alone, by his very creation alone, it draws us to him as God, ultimately presenting himself um, in and through Christ as the only way to the Father. We see that no one will be with an excuse. It doesn't matter if you're an indigenous tribe somewhere. It doesn't matter if uh, you live in the Bible Belt, if you live in New York or California. It doesn't matter. No one will be with excuse when they come Before God on Judgment Day. We see that here in Romans. And I hope we were able to understand and see that and that you were able to grasp some of um, the teaching in that area last Sunday to answer the ultimate question, well, what if someone never hears the gospel? The bottom line is, as we see in Scripture, no one will, will be with excuse because ultimately God makes a way, has made a way, and continues to make a way for all to come to know him uh, but those that are unrighteous, those that are an ungodly, suppress the truth and push the truth down, ultimately blinding themselves. And this essentially sets us up for the conclusion of this, this section um, of what Paul is going to uh, use as a platform moving forward as he addresses um, those that are ungodly. Those that reject God and what that looks like. But before we go any further, let's pray and we'll continue on with our message this morning. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for your word. May we see it as active and living. As you see it in our own hearts, we ask that you work in a mighty way, Lord God, that this message be of you and no one else, and that we your chosen people. Just have a heart and a mind and an attitude willing to receive your word this morning. Ultimately convicting us to be more like Jesus. May we see the truth and the light in your word this morning. And may it impact us in such a way that it overflows onto others. So, Lord, bless us during this time. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that um, that I, I, I say from time to time, and and uh, some people don't don't like it or don't take too kindly to it, I must say, is when I use the word ignorant. And one of the things that uh, we all must understand is when we use the word ignorant, it can imply many different things. I'm going to address uh, some of that later on um, because we see it in a verse or passage that we're going to look at this morning. But what comes to mind or what emotions arise when you hear the word ignorant or if someone calls you ignorant? Now, in our current culture and society, the word ignorant, I guess, it depends on where you live geographically, um, particularly in the United States. Um, The word ignorant can be very derogatory, can be very derogatory. It can be a word that uh, um, incites anger or defense or bitterness or frustration um, because it implies that uh, you're dumb or you're stupid. Right, But simply, the word ignorant is implying that you don't know. You don't know. You're not educated on that particular thing. So I think it's wise to say that we all don't know everything. We're not all knowing. We don't have one of the attributes of God. We don't know everything. So this is uh, one of the areas that uh, sometimes I... I rub people the wrong way when I said, oh, you're ignorant on this issue. And what they hear me saying is, you're stupid. And that's not what I'm implying. What I'm implying is the definition of ignorant, which means you just don't know. You're not educated on this particular area. And when I, when I communicate that, um, sometimes people understand and then sometimes people don't. My wife always reminds me of, you know, maybe you shouldn't use that word at all, regardless of context. And I was like, but the definition says this, like, yeah, but the way people receive it is very negative. And so, okay, so I take that in mind and I try not to use it as much now, but in a sense, when it comes to God's word, there's a form of ignorance that we have. One of the things that I will communicate and and have in my message this morning, is the difference between worldly ignorance and spiritual ignorance, uh, because there is a difference. I think it's safe to say that we all don't know everything. We don't know everything. So we are ignorant about many things, including myself. There's things that I'm just not educated in. There's things that I just don't know about. And even in conversation, when someone's talking about something it's like, and they ask me, it's like, "I don't know anything about that. I'm very ignorant when it comes to that subject." And I apply that word to myself. But why do we get upset when we hear the word "ignorant? Do we truly hear it as something negative, something aggressively insulting? Or do we like, or do we not like the fact that we don't know everything? depending on where you fall on that spectrum, it's really where you are, right? It really depends on you personally. Because that word means something different to a lot of us. It impacts us very differently from person to person. Now, with that being understood, how do you respond or not? I guess I shouldn't say respond, but how do you receive the word ignorant? How do you receive that word? And why do you receive it in the way that you receive it? Now, don't get me wrong, this isn't a message so that I could try to have more people be accepting. To me, when I use that word, that's not my motive at all by any means, but it's really to help us see or try to understand why do we feel the way that we feel when we see that word, or we hear that word, or that your word is used. Don't get me wrong, there are people out there, and probably including myself at times, that we use that word in a harsh way or a negative way, and um, it's something that the the context doesn't really justify um, the use of it. But one of the things that I want us all to really be thinking about this morning, is it really a bad thing, or is it something that is for us to come to to terms with, and why is that? Because as we heard and we listened to the message last week, hopefully you, you did if you weren't here no one will be with excuse. No one will have an excuse. So is ignorance something for Christians to be okay with. Not knowing. The desire that we should that we should have and that should be clawing at us from within is to be in the Word of God. It's to know Him more. To understand Him more. To rely on the Holy Spirit more. Why is that? So then we can know the truth. The only only way we can understand what is false is to know what is true. It's to not be ignorant. And so as you think about that and ponder that for a moment, I don't know if you've ever had before or if it means anything to you whatsoever, we're going to move on to our passage this morning. Now, we we have broke, or I have broken this up quite a bit just because there's so much content here. Um, time doesn't allow us to to have it all compact together. And so, um, but we're approaching the end of this before um, we get to the transition or the therefore um, here in... Romans 1 with Paul, but uh, we will be in verses 21, 22, and 23. If you're there already, please follow along. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. So now we know from last week that no one will have any excuse whatsoever. Paul continues to show us what, what happens when you suppress the truth. It becomes a very slippery slope. One that you can't really pull yourself out of at all. That's one of the problems that we have. Is we think we can pull ourselves out of an emotion. We think we can pull ourselves out of a situation. We think we can pull ourselves out of a slump. We think we can pull ourselves out of sin. And as Christians and as believers, this is this is false. This is something that the enemy wants you to believe. So you continue to ri- rely on yourself and not on God. I can remember many years ago, I think it's probably been a good 17 years, um, and I was uh, a fairly still new believer, but I was involved in ministry at that point, and um, uh, I was away uh, Dan and I were away, or I don't know if I was she was with me or not, but we were away at a student leadership retreat up in Paradise, California. Some of you may know where Paradise is. Um, Some of you may know Paradise as completely burning to the ground um, just a couple of years ago. Uh, But we were there and uh, we were doing a training and then I could only be there for a couple days and I had to leave because I had to work. So I was going to stay up until the last minute, get in the car, drive and the same day that I had to go to work. Well, um that day came and i had to leave and i could not find my car keys and i was looking frantically for my car keys everywhere and so um i can remember that i was so upset because i was not going to make it to work on time and i was i could potentially be in trouble uh quite a bit of trouble and so with that being said um we're looking, we're looking, I'm frantic, and uh, I can remember the host family saying, "Well, did you stop and pray?" And I can still remember very clearly to this day, my attitude when they told me that, And my response internally, essentially was, "What good is that going to do?" And so we stopped, we prayed, and reluctantly... Uh, I prayed, and and my attitude was still in a very bad place. Um, then I found my keys. No, we didn't find the keys. So I took someone else's car, drove it. Um, I still was a little bit late to work, not much. But then later they found my keys later on that day. Um, that's another story I might use for another sermon illustration. Um, but with that being said, my attitude was in a very bad place, even though I knew what I should do. Even though I understood what God's word told me that I should do, my heart, my attitude, my mind was like, "What? what good is that going to do?" And see, we see that very clearly. Although they know, they knew God, right? Don't get me wrong. This is where Paul is addressing the context. Here is for unbelievers, right? We already see this the unrighteous, the ungodly. Those that suppress the truth, talking about, they're not going to have an excuse. But at the same time, there's a lot of overlap to a certain extent as believers. Even though we know God, even though we know what we should do, even though we know the commands of God and Scripture, our minds, our heart, and our attitude don't reflect that. It was in that moment, and and I'm still convicted by it today, And that's why it's still very fresh in my memory, even though it's been many, many, many years ago. I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but one of the things that we need to understand is God's expectation for us is to live out his word. Now, for the unbelievers, coming back to the context in which we find ourselves here in verse 21, although they knew God, right, we must understand these are non-believers, and, and that's the context. This is, these are not believers who are losing their salvation or may have lost their salvation. That does not happen. Basically, they've suppressed the truth. We saw leading up to this, verses 18, 19, 20, right? God is plain to them. They are without excuse. There's no such thing as being ignorant. There's no such thing as, well, I just didn't know. I wasn't educated. No one told me about that when it comes to salvation and judgment. Now, we can reasonably expect that knowing God should ultimately lead to worshiping Him and glorifying Him. Why? Because that's our very nature of our existence. That's why God created us. If we ever wonder why, like, what's my purpose? Your purpose is to worship and glorify God. It's always interesting when I talk with Christians, and I know context is everything, but like, my purpose in life is to play the guitar. Okay. Ultimately, your purpose is to worship and glorify God. So therefore, as you play the guitar, how are you going to worship and glorify God? Some people might think, well, my, my purpose is to this or that. But the thing is, is, that's great. But ultimately, your purpose is to worship and glorify God. So how are you going to worship and glorify God by doing this? It's very simply put. I think, uh, if anything, we as human beings, we complicate God's word so much. and We become confused, not by, because of God's word, but because of our own processing, our own manipulation, our own overthinking to a certain extent. Of God's Word. Ultimately, that general revelation in which we talked about last week should and is meant to point us to God in worshiping and honoring Him, basically, to lead them to salvation, to honor Him, to worship Him. But we see that the lost, the ungodly, the unrighteous give God Nothing. And we saw last week that they they can't. You can't give God anything apart from him. And we saw this very clearly in verse 19. I'm going to reread it here. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Because God has shown it to them. It's plain. It's simple. It's basic. It's not presented in a way that's complex. Right? It's not a mathematical equation, right? There's no Da Vinci code. There's none of these things that it's, it's secretive. It's a combination. It's a special handshake to reveal God, none whatsoever. It's plain. We see it all around us in God's creation. But here's an interesting thing. We all get to experience it both the ungodly and the godly experience God's blessing. How is that? Well, let me put more context in that for us before we come to our own conclusions. God's creation is God's creation. When's the last time we looked at a sunset and said, wow, that's ugly. Some of us enjoy the rain. I enjoy the rain. People always ask me, like, well, why do you enjoy the rain? It's, It's depressing. I said, but it reminds me of God, just like the snow. Because it cleanses the earth. It cleanses the air. Just as God sent Christ to cleanse my sins. The rain and the snow always reminds me of Jesus. Thing is, we need to understand both the ungodly and the godly get to experience God's creation The ungodly don't look at a sunset and say, wow, what is that? That's ugly. People who enjoy the rain, if they're not a believer, they can't enjoy it. What is my point? My point is this. Through general revelation, we understand this. Both the ungodly and godly experience this, get to enjoy it, get to be part of it. But in and through that, God makes himself plain. So as they see and experience this, it doesn't separate them, right? It doesn't take them away saying, oh, because you don't believe in Jesus, because you're not a believer, you don't get to experience this sunset. You don't get to experience this sunrise. You don't get to experience the snow, the rain, the mountainscape, whatever it may be. The thing is, we need to understand we all get the benefit from this. Maybe it's fruit from a tree, crops from a field. Whatever it may be, but it needs to come down to one thing. Do we give thanks to the Creator? And that's the difference. We see that in God's Word, that the unrighteous and and the ungodly give thanks to something else. But as believers... We give thanks to God. We should. It's unfortunate how many believers that I see turn um, to, to, to Mother Earth and worshiping nature, worshiping animals, and they treat animals or they treat nature better than they treat other believers. It's Heartbreaking. Why? Because it goes against God's word. Get me wrong, we should be good stewards of all that we give us. We see that in the very beginning, that Adam and Eve... After the original sin, Adam has to take care of what he's been given. He has to work the land. God didn't say, "Well, the land's going to be bad and this and that and you just go sit over there and play video games." No. Work it. Make it produce. Take care of it. Maintain it. Thing is is as we are given, right? Home Land, a front yard, or backyard, we need to take care of it. We need to maintain it. And it's like, ah, oh, we just let it go. It's the same thing. We need to take care of what God gives us. But here's the thing. As we maintain it, as we are good stewards, we don't fall subject to it. Ultimately, we are God's greatest creation. See, the ungodly, the unrighteous do the opposite. They do not give thanks to the creator and they look to these other creations of God. Let's turn to Acts 14. Acts chapter 14. Now I, I've read through Acts many times. I've written papers on Acts. I have preached on Acts. But when I came through my studies and I came across this passage, like, man, how did I miss this? Like, This should stick out in my mind, this passage. Acts 14, starting in verse 8. Now, Lystria, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. Verse 10 said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in uh, Laraconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he "...was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, "'Men, why are you doing these things?' by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. They see a miracle and they're like, oh, these are these gods, Zeus and Hermes, from the heavens above, and they're here in the form of man, because they performed a miracle. Paul healed a crippled man. So what did they do? They're like, oh, we need, to, we need to sacrifice and worship these, what? These Greek gods, right? Did you ever know that Barnabas was Zeus? You ever heard that before? Here's the thing. This is the mindset of fallen man those who don't accept God, those who don't accept his creation, that it came from a creator, came from the creator. And what they've done is they turned it into their own graven image, their own idols. They said, look at Hermes, look at Zeus, let's slaughter, let's worship them. Not slaughter them, but (laughs) sacrifice an animal to them and worship to them and What did they do? They tore their garments and cried out to them, trying to keep them from doing it. But the people didn't understand. They didn't respond in the way that they were called to respond. They they heard the gospel. They saw a miracle and they heard the gospel and then they wanted to worship them like Greek gods. They They didn't get it. Even after all of this, this idolatry was at the forefront of their minds. Even though the gospel was presented, they, they suppressed the truth. They suppressed the truth. Does this ring any bells with you? Think of Moses. All the miracles that happened to set the Israelites free. To set them free. I'm going to reference uh, Moses and the Israelites and Aaron and Pharaoh a few times throughout the message. I'm not going to turn us there and go through the whole thing, but I'm going to reference it. And and the people, the Israelites, get to experience what coming out of Egypt. The Egyptians giving them stuff. They're plundering them for their trip. Splitting of the Red Sea. Not only that, a pillar of fire. Protecting them. Leading the way. Manna from heaven. Water. They have Moses. And as Moses goes up Mount Sinai and, and Aaron's left in charge. They're worried. Why, why is Moses not coming back as quickly as he should? You know what? The gods are angry at us. We need to we need to satisfy the anger of the gods after all they've seen, after all Moses has led has led them and taught them. Thing is, is as they were in captivity over generation and generation and generation and generation. Just these few days of Moses being with them and leading them out wasn't enough to break the cycle of their idolatry. Of their sinful ways. What did they do? They pressured Aaron. And this, this is a, a, a even a, a depiction of some pastors in churches today. They pressured Aaron and Aaron gave in and he formed a graven image. A golden calf. And they worshipped it and danced around it. Sinful man is going to do sinful things. They're going to suppress the truth. Even though they know the truth. Thing is, as believers, even though we know the truth, why do we still do wrong? Right. This is one of the great passages, one of the one of the great um, writings that we see in Paul. That's so encouraging to us. Right. The the famous Uh, do-do passage, right? Of Paul, why do I do the things that I know I'm not supposed to do, but I keep on doing them? I know what I should do. I know the righteous things that I should do, but I I keep longing or I keep wanting or I keep falling into doing the wrong things. Why is that? Paul just being transparent. And it's like some, I don't know if you're like me, but it's like, wow, he wrote that for me. In the same way, as Christians, we struggle with these things as we receive God's commands, we receive God's commands, and we know, and we know, and we know, and ignorance is not an excuse for believers. But when it comes to those that are ungodly, unrighteous, they suppress the truth. The scripture tells us, and we already read it, and we looked at it quite a bit last week, and we see it more even this week in these, next three, in these three verses, is they don't understand because they don't want to understand. It's not because they don't know. It's not because it wasn't brought to them. It's not because God never revealed himself to them. And we see with even in Acts with Paul and Barnabas. They suppress the truth. They suppress the truth. They're not going to understand. They're not going to see. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what is an idol? A lot of us, have this biblical perspective of an idol but we don't have a biblical definition of an idol contextualized in the way it applies to us today what do i mean by that i think we think idolatry is something of the scriptures and not something of our modern day culture and society but i would say you're wrong an idol is a worshiped image anything that replaces god or you allow to come in between you and God. A higher priority than God in your life. One of the things that we must understand that idols come in many different forms, especially in our westernized culture and society. Idol can be technology in your life, can be a person, it can be a sports team, a hobby, money, pride, Popularity, self. These are idols that we see so prevalent today. These are idols that we come across every single day. Now, don't get me wrong, there are many great things, right? Conveniences that we have through what? Through technology, through the advancement of that makes life easier. The thing is, is that we take things that are meant for good and turn them into things for bad. And there are people that are out there for things that are created for good and have turned them into things for bad. And instead of seeing the, what it's been shaped and molded by man into something bad and sinful, we look at it as like, oh, well, it's something good. And we turn a blind eye to the bad. And the sin. A worshipped image. A lot of us might think, well, I don't worship my phone. I don't worship my work. I don't worship this. I don't worship that. But as we dig deeper, anything that replaces God, and we might be thinking to ourselves, well, nothing replaces God in my life. Nothing replaces God in my life. Think about that for a moment. When we choose not to go to church, when we choose not to read our Bible, when we choose not to pray, when we choose not to fellowship, not to be there for one another. Because as believers, we're called to be there for other believers first and foremost. Why? Because we're the body of Christ. We're part of one body. We need to take care of each other. We need to be there for one another. Ah, now we begin to really truly understand the teachings by Jesus Himself, unless you hate mother, brother, sister, uncle, cousin, best friend, unless you hate them. And come follow me. You can never be my disciple. He doesn't say when you need to literally hate her parents or siblings or her best friends, but he's saying When it comes down to it, when it's me or them, will you choose me? This is one of the reasons why I've mentioned in the past, where there's some pastors that I know that are friends of mine that pray for persecution of the church here in the United States. There's a reason why there are missionaries sent from China to the United States. I don't know if some of you knew that. They see us as a fallen people because of the things that we are subjecting ourselves to, that we are replacing God with all of these things. A lot of times we hear warnings or we hear preachers preach on such things and we're like, oh, that's just a, you know, he's just trying to cast fear into our hearts. He's trying to just, you know, keep us away from this. And, and that's just another old pastor afraid of change and, and and understanding it's you know what the times are and and all these different things is like look, God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's word does not change. It's the same. Oh, but Pastor Raph, the meanings change because as the culture and society changes, then the scripture changes. No, it does not. It does not change. it's offensive to you it's offensive to you because of sin in your life if it's offensive to you it's offensive to you because you suppress the truth if god's word is offensive to you then it's something within you that you need to really wrestle with it's the conviction that god is trying to give you because in your very makeup in your very dna of how god created you from the very beginning he is woven within you Time and time again, we replace God in our lives. And we don't even realize it. Are we darkening our own hearts? Are we suppressing the truth? Turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 3 it says, You ask and you do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Are you an enemy of God? For you and I, it is a spiritual adultery. This is something that we see very clearly in Scripture. something that I taught on before in the past. And we need to understand that for the lost, it is futile. For us, it's adultery. We have an adulterous heart. We cheat on God spiritually by having these other idols, by focusing our attention on these other things, by having a higher priority for other things other than God. And a lot of times we like to water it down or sweep it under the carpet or explain it away by saying, well, God will understand. God will understand. And we abuse the grace that we have freely been given. And we continue to expect to live in His mercies and love. But we make these choices not out of ignorance. Not out of ignorance. But out of a sinful heart. We get to this point of being futile. These such things are futile to the lost. I want to go into that here a little bit more. Um, I know we're spending a lot of time on verse 21, but don't worry. We will um, make up some of that time momentarily. But I want us to fully grasp and understand what Paul is trying to to help us see here very clearly because he makes that statement, so they are without excuse. And then he goes in the verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they what? Became futile in their thinking. They became futile in their thinking. The word futile, okay? matayo matai okay? matai it means empty, useless, fruitless, worthless. We got it, okay, matai okay? This is what this word means, futile, right? Futile and what? Worthless and what? Useless and what? Empty and what? It says, in their thinking. God makes no sense to them whatsoever. Okay, why? Why do they God make no sense to them? Well, we just go back. Okay, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Right. So they didn't honor him or give thanks to him. They didn't. They rejected God through general revelation or special revelation, whatever it may be. They're rejecting him and they became futile in their thinking. What does that mean? Turn with me to first Corinthians chapter two. 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter two. Verse twelve. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit Who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If you are not a believer, okay, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. And this is why when people who say they're saved, but their lives are not reflecting that, and it's like, okay, we give them a the benefit of the doubt. They, they, they're still learning. It's part of the sanctification process. Maybe they, they learn slower than others, right? And then we bring scripture, and I've done this many, many times before, and I bring scripture. like, what does this mean to you? But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that means. And I get even easier and simple, very basic scripture out of God's word, and, and they just have no idea what it means. They just can't understand it. For No matter how well I explain it or anything, and there's just no discernment, no interpretation whatsoever going on in the scripture tells us, Ah, the Holy Spirit helps them discern spiritual things, but those who are not saved cannot discern spiritual things because they don't have the Spirit. They won't understand it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that person will never be saved. that's, That's God's business, not mine. But what I am saying is, look, those who reject the truth, those who are not saved, they can't understand God's Word. They can't. Why? Because they have the spirit of the world. Who's the spirit of the world? Satan. They don't have the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit. We see very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 here. It says, by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Okay? What does it say? Beginning of that verse. Not Taught by human wisdom. Not taught by human wisdom. Why do you think I try to use so much scripture in our messages? It's not about me. It's not about my commentary. It's about God's word. My desire every Sunday morning and anytime we do Bible studies or have discussions, whatever it may be, is to get you into God's word. Get you into God's word. Why? Because that's where it is. That's where the truth is. Not some clever thing that I make up. Not some special dictation that I've written down or prayer that I've articulated to, to read off to you. It's God's word. You see, this is why there's so many so many people being led astray because there's so many churches out there that are teaching and they're teaching man's opinion, they're teaching man's thoughts and ideas, and, and nothing to do with God's word. That's why Scripture needs to be at the forefront of everything that we do. Because we see here, it, the loss depend on the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of man, not of God. This is what they're going to cling to. This is what they're going to adhere to. This is what they're going to have in the very core of their inner being is sinful man. And we see very clearly the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They don't accept them. They reject them. I know it's hard for some of us to to hear. But it's very clear in God's word. It's futile. It's empty. It's useless. It's fruitless. Those that reject the truth and suppress the truth. Harden and darken the heart. Foolish hearts. Darkened. we can see very clearly how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then within that same story of Moses coming to him, Pharaoh not only hardening his own heart, but God hardening his heart as well. He rejected the truth. To turn from, a suppress, to turn from and suppress the truth and the light is to live a life in pure Darkness doesn't matter how good of a person you are. It doesn't matter how much you help the needy. Apart from God, it's nothing. You turn from God, you suffer the consequences. There will be no excuse. And ignorant ignorance is not an excuse. We see that in Scripture. We saw it last week. You see it again this week. And for the believer, ignorance is not an excuse. For the unbeliever, when it comes to spiritual things, ignorance is not an excuse. Because God is everywhere. God is in everything. Turn with me to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 10. Matthew 13, verse 10, we're going to see Jesus teaching here. It says, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them to you. It has been given to know it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given for to the one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, People's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And we see even Jesus is saying, look. I teach in this way because if I just give you the scripture plainly, you can discern it. You're going to know because you've been given that. And he's speaking of the discernment of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of understanding of their salvation. But to them, they're not believers. I need to speak in a way that they can understand. Why? Because when I speak scripture, when I speak the truth plainly to them, they hear, but they don't hear, and they see, but they cannot see. Why? Because they can't discern it. They're not believers. Now, some will harden their hearts and turn away, as the the prophet said. Some won't. But see, Jesus is saying, look, I need to teach them in this way, and this is why. In the same way, We see believers, we should see believers, wrestle with, understand, process, meditate on God's word. And we see the non-believers push away, reject, not accept, not understand God's word. The thing is, I know Paul, in these three verses, is addressing the non-believers. But as we see that, we can we can see for believers, for ourselves, is there a relation? Is there a, a, a an overlap? Is there is there? Um, do we have things in common? And if we do, that's a problem. That should be a a red flag, something that raises the antennas, so to speak, and say, hey, it shouldn't be like that. I shouldn't look like the unbeliever. I shouldn't have anything in common with them. This brings us to verse 22. As Paul moved on from verse 21, and he talks about them being futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened Right. Verse 22 says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Do you know everything? Do you claim to know everything? Are you wise? Do you take enjoyment with being able to to chop it up? Right. To have deep discussions with your professors. Makes you feel intellectually important, or dominant, or sufficient. The wiser they thought they were becoming, the dumber they got. The more they fell away from God, the wiser they thought they were getting. Paul says this here because this is something that was very prevalent in Rome intellects, philosophers, those who thought they understood things that no one else could understand, those who thought they they, they can understand the stars in the sky better than anybody else, those who thought they had an idea or they had a theory or they had something that no one else could grasp, but they could talk about it so eloquently and so fluently, and it really impressed people. You ever felt that way? One of the things that we need to understand is the wisdom of the world is futile. Just because you're, you, you have so much knowledge and you have all these degrees and you can, you can talk about this or you've been published or researched or you run seminars or whatever it may be is nothing in comparison to the wisdom of God. Nothing at all. Paul reminds us of that here and he makes it a point because a lot of, a lot of us, some of us look to knowledge why? Because what does the world tell us? Knowledge is what? Power. Knowledge is power. Turn with me to first Corinthians chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Wisdom of the world is nothing. It is futile. It is folly. Now listen. Listen. Don't don't sit here and say, oh, Pastor Raph says I need to drop out of school. My professors are dumb. They might be very intelligent in their own right, but in accordance to God or in relation to God, they are nothing. Scrupulous dung. They are nothing. Why? Because it's intellect, it's knowledge of the world and not of God. And the thing is, is that as a non-believer, the more that they, they become wise in their own right, they are idolatrous of themselves. They are idolatrous of their great minds. And I'm sure some of you are probably thinking of some of your professors right now or someone you might know. Remember that next time you're in a class. Remember that next time you're in a seminar. Remember that next time you're having a conversation with someone and they think so highly of themselves because of their intellect. It is nothing God, that will not save them. And to be honest, what we see in Scripture, what is the context in which we're reading this? In Romans chapter 1, those who will not be without excuse, those who are futile, those who are dark in their heart, those that are folly, are we grasping what the Scripture is telling us here? Or do we fall to these idolatrous idolatrous? men and women to a sense that we become worshipers of them there's certain people that have come and gone that their intelligence their intellect their wisdom is unfathomable to the human mind to a certain extent right these great men or women and we put them up on a pedestal And we look to them above all things. And we worship them. And there's something that in our own minds become a God. The thing is, we should not look to them in such a way. We should not have such thoughts. We should not have uh, such actions. Why? Because these are all reserved for God. And why is that? Why do people do that? Why do, peop- why do people do that? Because the more we reject the revelation of God, the more we plunge ourselves into a deeper state of ignorance and nonsense. Ultimately, what? Making ourselves conceited, narcissistic, a worldly, fallen human, basically scratching and clawing with a helpless effort to try and justify our sin, ultimately, ultimately revealing our true self, ultimately revealing our true self. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is why I always say, look, if anyone ever comes and says, "Oh, there's this thing in the Bible that I found," and hundreds and hundreds of years they've gotten it wrong. Oh, there's this new teaching here. Don't fall for it. Yes, there's always something new that we that's revealed to us in scripture, but it's nothing new in a sense. It might be new to us because we haven't read it before or we just glanced over it. We didn't dive into it. Like he even said earlier in, in Acts chapter 40, he's like, man, I, I, I've read through Acts many times. I've written papers on it. I've preached on it. But how come I never saw Barnabas' Zeus? That's an interesting An interesting fact about scripture. People saw Barnabas as Zeus. I don't know. I never looked at Barnabas. That way. But basically. All that these people are trying to do. Is justify their sin. Justify their sin. By trying to explain away God. By trying to push away God. By trying to continue to go down that path of suppressing the truth and darkening their hearts. And this brings us to verse 23. It says, as they became fools, it says, And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul brings this idolatry full circle for us before he begins his graphic outline of the condemnation and the divine abandonment of mankind and exchange they exchange the glory right meant for god okay we're going to dig into that here right now they exchange the glory that is meant for god right um we need to have an understanding that we are god's ultimate creation we are god's ultimate creation okay Now, listen, I'm an animal lover, okay? You can talk to my mom. She can tell you stories, right, of me on my grandparents' uh, ranch, and I'll sleep out in the dirt with the dogs as a kid, okay? I loved animals. Always wanted them. Always wanted to be around them. Diane and I, when we were dating in high school, we were like foster parents for kittens and stuff like that. We both love animals, okay? Needless to say, we got three dogs, a rabbit, a cat, mice that come in and out of our garage, they keep trying to catch by testing the strength of their neck. Okay? But what's my point? My point is this when we exchange the glory, right? The glory, when we exchange the honor, the respect, the value, the importance, the priority that is meant for God for these other things, we are falling into an idolatrous heart, an idolatrous trap set by this world. Don't get me wrong. I I, I love animals, some more than others. Okay, if you know me, I hate snakes. I am not a snake person. Okay, um, I have no qualms or quarrels with. Beheading a snake. Honestly, I think it's biblical, right? The heel will crush the head of the snake. It's in scripture, okay? But what's my point? My point is this. When we begin to treat animals like they're humans, and we treat them better than we treat our believing brothers and sisters in Christ, we fall into this trap. When we're willing to sacrifice more For an animal, than we are for our brother and sister in Christ, we fall into this idolatrous trap. We begin to replace relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ with animals or things of this nature. We fall into this idolatrous trap. It is something that we cannot exchange, we cannot compromise. We cannot substitute. We are God's ultimate creation, created to worship and glorify him. And that has been woven into the very makeup of our DNA. What the problem is we see here, it has been prevented by sin. Sin has corrupted this. So then the sinful, darkened hearted man worships his own creation or himself instead of God. What am I saying here? See, what happens is that we know that we are to worship and glorify God. And because of sin, sin fractures that relationship. And so then what, what, are, what we are left with is this. Okay, we have this innate desire. That there's something greater out there and we need to focus or we need to have a worship and, and glorify something. And so we take that and we're like, okay, I know I need to do that. I don't know why I need to do that, but I feel this strong urge that I have to worship and glorify something. And we gravitate to what we want, what the flesh wants. Glorify and worship ourselves. There are people that are so dedicated to their appearance, how they look. And that's all their attention. And that's what they need. That's what they crave. That's what they want. There are people who take that and they said, okay, what am I going to go? I love animals. I love dogs. I'm going to dye my dog's hair. I'm going to dress up my dog. I'm going to push my dog in a stroller. It's my little baby. Treat them. Treat them like a person. Don't get me wrong. Okay, my my dad does this. He has two chihuahuas. Takes them to get ice cream. Makes clothes for them. Okay. Now I'm thinking, is like, okay, I see a lot of older people doing this. I'm like, is this something I got to look forward to when I get older? Right? I'm in my 40s now, so I'm not that far off. Should I start praying now? Lord, don't let me fall into this. Right? People put it into a cause. And they're more sold out for this cause than the gospel. And they replace God for worshiping this cause. Or maybe it's for another person. Are you a people pleaser? And they exchanged God for this other person. Whatever it may be a hobby, intellect, achievements it is within us, it is woven within us to worship and glorify. But sin has fractured that. Second part was worship and glorify. God and sin has fractured that and without Christ God doesn't come back into that picture of we need to worship and glorify God it's worship and glorify fill in the blank and this is what is within us and this is what our flesh wants us to do and this is what the world wants us to do and this is what we see here with those that are futile those that are folly those that have darkened their hearts those that have suppressed the truth and rejected God ultimately but as a believer it shouldn't be so. It should not be this way. If we reject God, we will not worship or glorify Him. But it is something we must do. Are we giving in to the worldly things? Do we have an idolatrous heart? Turn me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Way left. Way left. Deuteronomy. Chapter 4, verse 15. It's amazing that this is all the way back in the beginnings of the scriptures and how relevant, how important it is for us to read this today. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a, a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you will What you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. We need to understand that God has chosen us to pluck us out, right? Being dead in our trespasses and stop exchanging the truth for a lie. The only difference here is that during this time, they would make these images, right? And I preached on, the, uh, on what Paul, when he was before the people, and he goes, oh, I see you have all these idols around you, and I saw one to the unknown God. Let me tell you about this unknown God. He is the God of all gods. And he gave him Jesus. And see, what we've done, we don't need to go make images. The images are already made for us, and they're like, here, take it, take it, take it. And we take it. And when he exchanged the truth for a lie, what do you truly worship? What do you truly glorify? Is God your number one priority in your life? I'll tell you right now, if if this is the only time that you're in the scriptures, if this is this the only time that you fellowship with other believers? If this is the only time that you're part of any type of prayer, then you are failing. You are failing. You are exchanging the truth for a lie. Why is that? Because that means God is not number one. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we we need to be in God's word five hours a day every day. We need to be in prayer five hours a day every day. We need to, we need to just throw everything out of the window and just be in prayer and be in scripture I mean that would be amazing but that's that's not what God's telling us God's saying in your heart am I number one? not in your lips in your heart. Oh because we can fool the lips. so easy to fool the lips. We can tell the lips what to say. What to communicate, even though our brain might not be thinking it. Even though our heart might not be feeling it. Even though it's something that we don't even believe, we can fool the lips. But in your heart, in your attitude, is God truly number one. So I ask you this, how much do you relate to the unrighteous? How much do you truly relate to the unrighteous? Do you relate to them at all? This passage should help us understand the lost much more. Much more. And The thing is, is if we approach Romans 1 and said, okay, this is going to help me understand the lost, and that's it. And we come to this passage like, okay, and it's just about the lost, and it's just about the lost, and it's just about The lost. And we don't think it has anything to do with us. We miss the point. We miss. How God is feeding us. Through this chapter. This passage should help us understand the lost much more, but it should also convict us and warn us of the fleshly desires That we still struggle with. We're going to close with John 15. John chapter 15 verse 18. You can see Jesus is teaching here, John chapter 15, verse 18. It says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So be encouraged if you're rejected by the world. That's how it should be. You should be rejected by the world. If you ever want to say, Wow, how am I doing as a Christian? Are you hated, hated by non believers? Are you rejected by non believers? Or do you fall into that trap? Well, I don't want to upset people. I don't want people to not like me. It's a well-known thing amongst pastors. There should be people that don't like you. It's a known thing. Pastors know that. We warn pastors who go out and try to be liked by everyone. Yes, we should be approached. approach. Yes, we should try to befriend as many as we can for the sake of what? The gospel, not reputation. For the sake of salvation, not reputation. Because then I turn it from what? I turn it from Christ to me. In the same way, as a person, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who rejects what? Sin? Not rejecting the truth? Jesus says, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. Why? Because his followers, his believers were being what persecuted, rejected. They were discouraged. And he's like, don't be discouraged. Look at what they did to me. Look what they did to me on the cross. They rejected me. They what? They beat me. They killed me. They sacrificed me on a cross. Don't be discouraged. Because I did that for you. Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Does the world hate you? Are we too afraid to post something on our social media that has anything to do with Jesus? Has anything to do with scripture? Has anything to do with our faith? We need to come to an understanding that these are the ways of the lost. And it says, because of their unrighteousness and their ungodliness... It's all futile to them. The hearts are going to harden, and be darkened, and they're going to suppress the truth. But as believers, it shouldn't be this way. So I ask you this: Who are you friends with? Who do you look more like? The world. Or Jesus? And I think this is. A very relevant question, especially as we approach the celebration of the Lord's birth. So, this morning, I hope in many ways you understand better, but you are convicted and encouraged at the same time because conviction brings change and repentance, and change and repentance brings and is at the forefront of sanctification which is the process of us being made more like Christ. And so I hope I, that this message finds you with a heart, mind and attitude ripe ripe for change to be more like Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for our time together this morning. My prayer is that in and through this message. That no one would see me. That they would see you. And your son. Lord, this message is. Convicting to hear, and even more convicting to study and preach on, and something that I will never take lightly. But my prayer is for everyone that is listening to this message that they would take heart, that they would be encouraged, that they would know that they are loved and not forsaken. That only in and through Christ can we mend the fracture of the the, the, sinful, the sinful nature of our flesh. That we can be forgiven of our sins to mend the relationship between us and you. That we would be friends, servants, bond slaves of you. And not the world. So, Lord, thank you for loving us so much that you would give us your word and your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.